self-described Christians who embrace worldly values are the sign of a weak, worldly church. What are the signs of a strong, godly church? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals the characteristics of those who grow under the sound, solid teaching of the Word. Listen as David continues the series, Christ Above All, with the conclusion of his message, Authentic Christian Ministry. You know, the ministry is not something you can parse out and say, well, he's a good preacher. His life is a mess, but he's a good preacher. Or his life is really good. He lives for Christ, but he doesn't preach. He doesn't preach the truth. He doesn't study. And if you're a minister, if you're a man of God, you have to live the life that you teach and teach the life that you live. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about being authentic in Christian ministry. And that's what was needed so desperately back then. It's what's so needed desperately now. And as he wrote the letter to the Colossian believers, he was certainly uh, thinking of his friend Epaphras, who was their pastor, a very authentic Christian minister himself. And uh, he was giving us an example of how we should go about ministry as well. Hey, I want to tell you once again about this book that just came out. It's called Christ Above All, the Book of Colossians, and it is our commentary on the book of Colossians that we're studying. Everything we're talking about originated with our study of the Word of God, and it's in this 288-page hardback book. We want you to have the book. Here's how you can get your copy. Help us this month by sending a gift of any size to Turning Point. And when you do, simply say, please send me the book, Christ Above All, and it'll be on its way. It's our way of saying thank you for investing with us. We need your help. We can't do this by ourselves. It takes all of us together, and we are making a difference. I want you to know that. We are making a difference, and it's because of your faithfulness that we can do that. Well, let's get started with part two of Authentic Christian Ministry. I am so grateful for the privilege God has given to me to be a teacher. And it's my joy to come here every week, put in my time during the week, and come here to teach the Word of God. Because what I know is, when you are nourished up in the pure Word of God, it strengthens you for the battle. It helps you meet the challenges of the day. You are today, as a Christian, in your strength quotient, the reality of the Word of God that you have absorbed into your life and that you have learned how to use greatest privilege anyone can have is to be a teacher of the Word of God. Paul has one more thing he says we need to get ready for. Get ready to suffer. Get ready to serve. Get ready to speak. Get ready to struggle. To this end, I also labor, he says, striving according to his working which works in me. Paul's language in this verse is brutally compelling. The Greek word translated labor was used for work which made someone so weary it would be like being beaten up by others. He denotes labor to exhaustion, labor that is overwhelming. Have you ever been dead tired? Have you ever done something that just took everything out of you and you were so dead tired you couldn't pull yourself hardly into your house? Someone says, I'm too tired to take a shower. Show me where the bed is. That's what Paul's talking about. And then he adds another word to it. Not only does he labor, 
but he also strives. And the word striving is the word for struggling. It's the word from which we get our word agony. Paul said, I am working myself, and I am working so hard that it's agony. You know, he uses some of these same words when he's talking to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.10, he said, For this end we both labor and suffer reproach. And then in the book of Thessalonians, he says, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day. Paul's talking here about the fact that while he's doing the ministry, while he's doing the apostolic thing, while he's writing epistles, while he's in prison writing letters to the Colossians, while he's doing all of this, whenever he's out of jail, he's working at a secular job making tents to support himself. There's nobody giving him a salary every month. He doesn't get a check in the mail. Paul has no way of sustaining his ministry if he doesn't have some sort of ancillary work. So he's the illustration of the first bivocational pastor. He's working so that he can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, my life is agonizing. It's full of hard work. It's labor. Martin Luther used to work so hard that many days, according to his biographers, he fell into bed at night. D.L. Moody's prayer one night was, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. (laughs) John Wesley rode 60 to 70 miles many days of his life and preached an average of three sermons a day, whether he was riding or not. Alexander McLaren would get to his office when the workmen went to work so that he could hear their boots outside. And he would put on his workman boots to remind him of why he was in that office so he could put in a day's work along with the brethren outside. Among the ranks of Christians, there are workers and there are shirkers. It's not hard to figure out which one of those Paul was. He was a worker. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, why is that important? Well, it's important because the reputation of the ministry is, you guys have it easy. You only have to work one day a week. You ever heard that? I've heard it lots. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you got it easy, Jeremiah. You just have to work one day a week. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you something. The ministry is a place where you can burn yourself out. My friend, Dr. Hendricks, and others along with him used to say, let me tell you what the ministry is like. The ministry is like dipping out of the ocean with a teaspoon. You dip and dip and dip, and you look up, and it's all still there. I understand that. The ministry is something you feel like no matter how hard you work, it's never done. There's always something else. There's always somebody else. There's always some other problem. There's always some other need. The ministry is a place where you can burn yourself out. I know some people that have done that. But it's also a place where you can lazily loaf your way through life. And I know some people like that. The ministry is an easy place to just dog it. Nobody's standing over you saying, what are you doing? Used to be you had at least come up with a sermon, but now you can just go to the Internet and dial one down from somewhere else and you got to get up and preach it on Sunday. If you don't have a work ethic in the ministry, you will be a disaster. But Paul said, I want you to know something. I work and I labor and I struggle. I want to give you a little paradigm that I discovered this week. I really didn't discover it. I think I've known it, but I never saw it so clearly presented. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, this is what Paul writes. 
I labored more abundantly than they all. That means I worked harder than everybody. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. This is the dynamic in the ministry that is often lost. We work and Christ works. In almost all of these passages, that is the secret. If we do not work but just wait for Christ to work, nothing gets done. If we work but do not wait for Christ to work, what gets done may not be what should be done. And often it will be something that will burn you out because you shouldn't be doing it. The Living Bible translates this verse like this. This is my work, and I can do it only because Christ's mighty energy is at work within me. There's an old statement that I heard way long years ago. It goes like this. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Here's what I've learned. You want to see the mighty working of God in your life? Attempt something great for him. If you want to be happy just sailing along in kind of neutral and kind of just float into heaven, you probably don't need much of God's help. You can do that on your own. If what you can do is not capable of being done by you but needs God's help, that's where you're going to see his power. You need to get out on the edge. You need to get out and have some vision about what God wants to do. Do something that doesn't make any sense. Somebody once told me if it makes sense, it's probably not from God. If it looks easy, it's not from him. When we ask God to do things for us that are beyond our comprehension to imagine, that's when God's mighty power takes over. God wants to do a God thing in our life. He doesn't want us to sit around and just do what's easy and comfortable, which requires nothing of us and nothing from him. He wants us to attempt things for him that require Almost like, God, if you don't show up, I'm a dead man. (laughs) Living in that way is the way I believe Paul is describing. Now, I know there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. But here's my observation. A lot more people end up on the wrong side of that than you think. And it's not on having too much faith. It's having not enough faith to trust God. I would rather fail trying to do something great than succeed at doing nothing. And I know most of you feel the same way. If you want to see the power of God in your life, trust God for something beyond your own ability and see what he does. Well, those are the commitments of Christian ministry. You know what they are. You've written them down. Let me finish this up with the concerns of Christian ministry. Paul was all in when it came to ministry. He was committed to suffering, serving, speaking, and struggling for Christ. Now he wants to show the concern he has for the people that he's leading. He wants to talk about what his desire is for the Colossian believers and because for them, for us as well. If Paul were here preaching today, here's what he would say. First of all, I want you all to have a courageous heart. Be courageous in your heart. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And as for many who have not yet seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be encouraged. Paul is saying, I want you to know how strenuously I'm exerting myself for you. Knowing who Paul was, and at the same time knowing that he cared for them like that, must have been a huge blessing to the Colossians. In modern English, we often equate the heart with emotions. But in the Bible, the heart refers to the center of personality. Encouragement in the heart is a way of saying, 
that we're being encouraged in every aspect of who we are as a person. Paul said, my desire for you, Colossians, is that you be encouraged in your heart, which means being encouraged in your whole life. That's Paul's desire. That's why he works so hard. That's why he puts in so many hours. That's why he agonizes. That's why he struggles. That's why he suffers. So that he might communicate the word of God in such a way that it encourages the people of God. The second thing he wants is that they be knit together in love. That's what he says. That's his language. Paul says, the next thing I want you to know is how important it is for you to get along with each other. Can you imagine what it would have been like in the church of Colossae? Some people were biting. Some people were not. Some people were eating up the stuff from the Gnostics. Some people were not. And when they get together, they would argue about it. They lost their unity False doctrine had destroyed their oneness. And Paul says, my goal for you, my desire for you, my passion for you is that you begin to live like you should be living in the body of Christ. He actually uses this strong illustration. He says, be knit together in love. The psalmist says that cooperation among believers is a precious thing, a refreshing thing. Let's be concerned about unity in the church. Let's be peacemakers, not troublemakers. Let's face it, we cannot unravel our lives from those other believers that are not like us. We come from different social backgrounds. We have different levels of education. Often we've been raised in different countries or cultures, but we are knit together, said Paul. A woman like Mary Magdalene is made one with Mary, the mother of Jesus. A man like Simon the Zealot is made one with Matthew, the public and sinner. Peter the doer is made one with John the dreamer. We share a common bond. And F.F. Bruce tells us that we cannot really know the word of God as we should know the word of God if there is not the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. Courageous in heart, cooperative in love, confident in salvation. He says, attaining all the riches of full assurance. The false teachers were claiming they had a new kind of truth. Paul says, you will not fall for the new truth if you know the old truth. If you know the word of God, you will not be a victim for somebody who's trying to come in and subvert you from your faith. The best thing you can do is to know what you know, what you know. To be sure, God wants us to have a no-so salvation. Figuratively speaking, he doesn't want you to be a question mark all bent over in doubt with your head hung low. He wants you to be an exclamation point, standing up straight with head held high, strengthened by a God-produced confidence in him. Ladies and gentlemen, you will never be taken away from the truth if you know the truth. Because the more you know the truth, the more you realize something that's not true. You know, if you study the Word of God and you live in the Word, you can see false doctrine coming a mile away. When it comes into your church, you can smell it. And you may not even know that it's wrong, but you just know it is. The reason you know it is is because you know it's not what you know to be the truth. If you know the truth, you won't have to study all the false truths, all the falsehood. The main thing is to know the truth, and then you'll never have to be worried about what isn't true. Because you will know immediately that it's not. Be courageous in heart, be cooperative in love, be confident in salvation, and be convinced of the truth. Now this I say, Paul writes in verse 4 of Colossians 2, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. 
Paul does not say that the Colossians have already been deceived. A.W. Pink said, this letter is a vaccination against heresy, not an antibiotic for those already infected. Be courageous in heart. Be cooperative in love, Paul's saying. Be confident in your salvation. Be convinced of the truth and be consistent in your faith. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus in the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul commanded to walk in him, and that's the first command in this entire letter. Walk in the faith. And he ends our lesson with four different terms drawn from four different walks of life. Each is used to illustrate the nature of spiritual progress. First of all, we're to be rooted. He says, be rooted in your faith. That's an agricultural term. The tense of the word means to be once and for all rooted in your faith. That means to know you're saved, to know that you're a Christian. And you know, you cannot be a Christian, a real Christian, and not have some knowledge that it's true. You have doubts once in a while. Maybe you have problems with assurance. But Christians are not tumbleweeds that are blown all over the place. There are plants that are rooted in the gospel. And then he uses the word built up. He says planted, rooted, built up. That's an architectural term. It is the word from which we get our word edification. He says be sure you're planted. Be sure you're rooted in the gospel. Then make it your life's progress to keep being built up. When you become a Christian, you have a foundation, but on that foundation, you need to build your understanding of God's word and your knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And then he uses the word established, and that's an educational word. Epaphras had fully taught the Colossian believers the truth of the word, but the false teachers were undermining that doctrine. Christians who study the word have become established in the faith. And the word abounding was often used by Paul. It suggests the picture of a river overflowing its banks. This whole passage of Scripture is Paul unburdening himself, unloading himself on the Colossians. Here's who I am. I suffer. I serve. I speak. I struggle. And here's my passion for all of you and then all of the things we have just discussed. Paul's going to get into some things that will be hard for them to grab hold of. But he will have, first of all, communicated his love and passion for these people. That's really the key ingredient, isn't it? We don't come to church so we can sit there and hear the pastor bawl us out. (laughs) I've heard people say, I go to church every week and get bawled out every week. I remember hearing a pastor give a series of messages on how to preach. And I don't remember very much of what he said except one thing. He said, go home, look at your sermons, and find out how much ought you have in each one. And what he meant was, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. Somebody said, the problem is it's the hardening of the arteries. (laughs) And people wonder, okay, I ought to do this. Well, how do I do it? I determined not to be that kind of preacher. You know, Paul said that when you preach, you have to warn. Sometimes I have to do hard things. You have to teach. You have to encourage. I've told you before, the pastor's job is twofold. To encourage the afflicted and to afflict those who need to be afflicted. Ladies and gentlemen, that's my purpose. That's my goal. That's my hope. That's what I do. And I'm doing it more so now in in this way. I don't know how many years we have before all that's beginning right now will take hold in this culture. 
if something doesn't happen, the world we look at five years from now is not going to be anything close to the world we're experiencing. I pray to God there could be an intervention. I think it's possible. But what if it isn't true? What if we face a world that is totally against us, that sees us as people who don't have the right to exist? The way we withstand all of that is by becoming strong in our faith. That's why I've told you, get in a small group, serve somebody, whatever you do, come to church. We need to prepare ourselves to be the people of God for whatever's coming at us down the pike. And when we do that, no matter what happens, let them come. We'll stand in unity together with our hands up high. We'll praise God. We will be a lighthouse on the shore of darkness. Paul was a lighthouse to the Colossians. Thank God he didn't move his position. He stayed where he's supposed to stay. The Bible says that you and I are lights. When Jesus was on this earth, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 9, he said this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he said, you are the light of the world. What does he mean by that? We aren't the original light. We're the reflectors of the light, but we're all the light the people in the world will see. We have been called to be lighthouses in our community. And you know what? The darker it gets, the more we stick out and the greater influence we have. Here's the last thing. This church is a lighthouse. This church is a lighthouse in a dark world. I never dreamed that God would ever give us the influence that he's given to this church. This church is a lighthouse around the country. It's a lighthouse through our missionaries and cultures we've never even dreamed of. It's a lighthouse through the internet, to places we've never been. It's a lighthouse through radio and television, to communities we could not imagine ever touching with the gospel. And I've said this to you before, but I believe it with all my heart. The light that shines the furthest has to shine the brightest at home. If we keep our light shining brightly, if we don't let bad doctrine get into our church, if we don't get corrupted by the culture which surrounds us, if we stand strong in our faith, God will use this church as a mighty lighthouse in a dark world for many years to come. That's my prayer. And I believe it's happening now. It is my prayer that we can visualize it happening for many years to come. We are the light of the world. If we are rooted in the faith, built up in the most holy faith, if we allow the word of God to come and take up its dwelling place in our hearts, we'll be ready for whatever comes. Don't need to worry. God is enough. The word of God is sufficient. The truth is available to all who will seek it. And whenever air comes along, just hold up the truth. When you hold up the truth, the air looks embarrassed and insignificant. May God make that our goal and purpose as we go forward together. Well, amen. You know, as a pastor, I uh, very much appreciate these portions of the Word of God where uh, the information is kind of addressed to us who teach, us who are involved in what Paul was doing. It's for all of us, but specifically meant to help and encourage and strengthen and underscore the values of being an authentic minister of the gospel. My goal and purpose would be surely that. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we will uh, return to the book of Colossians and the second chapter, a very brief title for our lesson tomorrow. It's called Beware. Paul begins to warn the Colossian believers about some things they should be careful about. Obviously, they're all for us as well. 
what an incredible insight this man had into the things that affect the gospel. They affected it then, and they affect it now. Don't forget to get your copy of the book, Christ Above All, 288 pages, hardcover. Takes you through all the book of Colossians. Every chapter, every verse, every lesson, all the footnotes. Uh, There's some study guide material in each of these lessons. You you will be blessed by the book. It will help you really wrap your arms around the book of Colossians. Be sure and ask for your copy of Christ Above All when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of August. And then don't forget, we're coming to your area if you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, Orlando, Florida, Greenville, South Carolina, or Buffalo, New York. October and November is our Weeks of Rallies. You can find out more about them on davidjeremiah.org, all the dates, all the places, how to get your tickets. We hope you will invest yourself in these events and come and share them with us. Have a great day, friends. We'll see you next time right here on this good station. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. To share how God is using this ministry in your life, write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Comedian Johnny Carson, the longtime television talk show host, once made an observation about drivers. In a day when things are measured in nanoseconds, Carson said the shortest measurement of time known to man is still 
the interval between a traffic light turning green and the driver behind you honking his horn. We've all been there. But on which side of that transaction? Are we the one who is so impatient that we will yell with our car's horn? In our hurry-up world, we have to work at cultivating patience. And a good place to start is to be as patient with others as God is with us. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's patience on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.